Welcome back, everyone, to Finance Podcast Week and our November Roundtable featuring Jeremy Newsom of the Broke to Woke podcast and Christina Wise of the Wealthy Wealthy podcast as they dive into money mindset, what that means for each and every one of us, what beliefs we may have around money as we enter the holiday season, and if we have time at the end, answer your questions. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Finance Podcast Week has live stream sessions like this one with top finance podcasters and experts from around the world. We also have exclusive recorded episodes on the Finance Podcast Week channel for free. Download the Podbean app and follow the Finance Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time when we go live and to replay all of the live streams from our events. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And now we'll jump in and get started. Hello, Jeremy. Hello. How are you? I'm great. So for everybody listening who may not have heard of your show before, who may not be familiar, tell us a little bit about Broke to Woke, the work you've been doing, and your entrepreneurial journey. Totally. So I'll do my super fast 30-second elevator pitch. I grew up in a cult. Uh, I escaped that cult when I was 24. I lived in a single wide trailer treehouse in the state of Georgia. <laughs> uh, I became a liquid millionaire in my late 20s. I lost it all three separate times by three separate really weird incidences that I hadn't planned for. And uh, in the Broke to Woke podcast, I kind of share that journey along with my business partner, Brittany Turner, and one of my best friends. And we just kind of share our journeys of making a lot of money and losing it through various challenges and hurdles and how to overcome them so that anyone can go from broke to woke. Absolutely. And I see that we do have Christina here in the live stream. So Christina, when you have a chance, give a call in um, and let us know if you have any difficulties here in the chat. Um, I think that's really interesting, Jeremy, because a lot of people, you know, they think once they've made a certain amount of money, right? They've, they, they are, you know, liquid cash millionaire. They've made it, you know, that's it. They ride off into the sunset, but that's not really the reality of it. And I think it's something where, you know, it's really about our relationship to money. So I'd love for you to dive in and and talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you when you really realized that moment of, Oh wow, I've made it. And, but then the reality of it sits in and, and what, money mindset means to you. Yeah, totally. I mean, a money mindset to me, and I think to a lot of other individuals, most likely means your relationship with money. And if I had to describe it, imagine your best friend for a moment, whoever that person is in your life. And imagine your relationship with them. How often you call them, how often you talk about them. If you're with that person, what do you say to them? Or how do you text or talk on the phone? If you're with other people and your best friend's name gets brought up, how do you 
convey your relationship with that person. Nobody talk about how do you, you know, discuss events and so on and so forth. Money is the exact same way. Money is just a very different energy, but it is an energy that craves attention. So we have to develop not only a mindset, but essentially a relationship with our money. We have to know it. We have to know what what it wants, what we want to do with it. Because money, as many of you have heard before, is just an amplification of your heart. And what I've learned really early on is that money is amazing. And when you don't have it, which I have lived the majority of my life thus far, not having it, you know, up until I was about 24, um, not having any money at all sucked. wasn't great. However, once you, I, I would say past the 60 to $70,000 US dollar mark per year, for the majority of individuals, you no longer really have to worry about money. You don't have what's called money problems, right? You can go buy food, you can pay your living expenses, you're driving a vehicle, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. Like you're doing, you're got, you got it. You are okay. And what's amazing is, after that, all of the problems are no longer money related, which means individuals have to pour into each other, pour into ourselves, and really figure out those little demons and gremlins that live inside of us, and figure out how to remove them or change them or adapt them or grow them or shift them so that we are no longer fearful of really expanding our wealth. Because a lot of individuals that I work with and coach with, and myself included, was afraid of becoming wealthy because if I made a lot of money, then other people would ask me for it. And if I told them no then I'm now greedy and I'm an a-hole and I don't want to be a greedy a-hole. So it's rather easier to not get money so I don't have to turn people away. And I had to battle in that for years and years and years. And that is the mindset of money, making those changes and those shifts. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, I think it's really interesting what you said about not wanting to have money because then people would ask you for it and you'd have to say yes or no. What are some common, I guess, beliefs that people have about money that you've seen, you know, in, in your business and in coaching? Great question. The very first belief that I, you know, hear all the time is money is hard to get. So let's say if someone has a net worth of $100,000 and their brain, they go, well, it's going to take 10 times more work to get to a million. So however hard I've worked to make 100,000, I have to work 10 times that hard to get to a million. And I'm already working 60, 70 hours a week. I, don't, I can't work 10 times more. So it's harder to get money. It's, 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 it's difficult right. to get money. Like That's a very, very common um, phrase and belief. But the intriguing piece is my little tidbit. If there's any takeaway from this podcast, hopefully is this one. Money is your least valuable asset. Most individuals spend our most valuable asset time to get your least valuable asset money. Because in our mind, we are imagining and picturing money as the most valuable tool that we can have. 
but it's not. We have to go get more time. If we go get more time, right, Benjamin Franklin says time is money. So if we go get more time, if we can figure out how to do that, then naturally we'll get more money. And more time means being more valuable or being able to influence more individuals in your work than you currently do now. Let's just take an Uber driver, someone who drives Uber, which I've never had the privilege or opportunity of doing. But if I did, I'd be a really good Uber driver because I value people's time. So my goal would be how to become the best Uber driver that I could be, how to maximize my time, how to become the most efficient person, how to you know, know the routes that I'm driving, communicate with my passengers, work with a very specific type of client and get their business cards, get their contact information, drive for them whenever they needed it, be on call, if you will, or just do certain things in a way that is different than potentially other, other Uber drivers. For anyone who's ridden an Uber before, you probably all have experienced that one car where you have the water, right? You have the mints, and you have a phone charger. That Uber driver is already better than the other ones that you've experienced because like, wow, I got some mints, I got some water, and I got a phone charger. That's amazing. But that doesn't really require anything extra other than thought, right? Thinking of sitting down and asking yourself, how can I become a better driver? How can I provide more value to my customers? And spending money, right? Your least viable asset to buy phone chargers, waters, and mints which is now a little bit more of an asset because now your customers will appreciate you more and give you more tips. So essentially, that is a belief that oh, money is hard to get. Money is the easiest equation. It's the easiest part of any equation. There's so, much, there's so many people with so much money practically willing to give it to you. You just have to go ask for it. You have to put yourself in a position where you're more valuable than someone else so that you can receive that money quicker and easier and faster. Wow. No, that's absolutely true. And I, I have to relate. I mean, how many times have any of us been in one of those super Ubers where they give you water and mints and a phone charger and it, it makes an absolute difference. You're right. It's like a night and day experience. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And wow. No, that's, that's absolutely so spot on. And we also have Christina who's just joined. So Christina, when you're ready, um, say hello to everybody and do a quick intro. And then we're talking with Jeremy about money mindset and what are some common beliefs that we've seen people have with money and how they overcome them. Yeah. So uh, hi, Christina Wise here. I'm I'm Jeremy's uh, follower and wannabe. So he's my hero (laughs) when it comes to money mindset. (laughs) So he's my total boy crush when it comes to money. But I mean, I can't ditto enough like everything Jeremy says. And funny story, uh, how we met was you know here actually about a year ago, and and we just hit it off. And when I was listening to things Jeremy was saying as another panelist, I was like, who is this guy? Like he is just so right on with his mindset, and I just don't hear it the way he spoke it very often. And and. Funny enough, we've we've done some work together, and I'll answer your questions. And who am I? I'm <laughs> I have a company called Wealthy Wealthy, and I really teach money the how I teach people the how tos of money, like how to turn income into wealth, and a big part of that's mindset. And you know, I'm a real estate investor, and and you know, love the money game, and have a money school, and so on and so forth. So money's my jam, 
And, but what's interesting is Jeremy and I did a webinar together just not even 30 days ago, and it was really on invest, our podcast actually is on my podcast, and we were talking about investing, and Jeremy's done exceptionally well as an investor in the stock market and now in crypto, and I've done exceptionally well as an investor in real estate and now crypto. And so the how we've made our wealth and created financial freedom for ourselves is absolutely different, right? That I don't know a thing about the stock market and he knows very little about the real estate, right? Because he's had his expertise. But what we shared, even though we've probably bought, built similar net worths over the years, what we discovered is though, even though the how we built our net worth and our financial freedom was radically different, what was exactly the same was our mindset. Like, it, I mean, just how we think about money is, is what helped us create our, you know, kind of our outcome. And so it just, it, I hadn't really thought about it that way until we had that conversation of how important this conversation is. Now, with that said, what annoys me personally, a lot of times, and I think why I love what Jeremy said so much when it comes to mindset is so much of mindset is kind of in a frou-frou. Like it's just the law of attraction. If you think about money enough, it'll just kind of show up in your bank account. And that's true. Like I totally believe in the law of attraction, but there are lots of other laws too. But there's the practical mindset, like really the nuts and bolts of how you think about money. What are these money beliefs? If you think making money's hard or getting money's harder, if it's easy, you know, how you differentiate yourselves, how the mindset of just the, you know, the, the desire and the passion and the love of money in a healthy way and, and just thinking it's magical and beautiful and you can go create it and build it and have it and do awesome things with it and make bigger impact. You know, that's kind of the mindset we're talking about. And then different sub-mindsets of that, like the mindset of an investor as opposed to the mindset that you might have about money in your business, or the mindset about money of how you spend it. So mindset's a big conversation, but I just like to say that, like what I love how Jeremy speaks it, it's so practical, like, and it's so doable. Like right now you can change your mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And I think both of you kind of touched on something really interesting. And I kind of want to pull this thread um, because both of you kind of spoke a little bit about financial literacy, but there's also kind of an emotional financial literacy. So can can both of you kind of speak to that and what what that means to you and kind of the, I want to say, kind of the realizations you've had around that? Jeremy, you start. Yeah. And <laughs> Christina, I love you so much. Christina is incredible. She is such a wealth of knowledge, literally named a creator podcast uh, called Wealthy Wealthy. Um, I mean, the emotional aspect of money, again, this is all opinions, right? But we, we know what works. And the emotional standpoint is generally derived from your past experiences and who told you your beliefs about money. For example, for those who are listening, and Norma, I'll ask you directly, have you ever heard the term, I can't do that, money doesn't grow on trees? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, it's a common one. <laughs> super common, yeah. But my my mom or dad used to say like, oh, what do you think? I got a money tree I can just go out and pick money off of? 
and, and what's what's crazy, especially for people listening right now, we're probably about to go and spend money to bring a tree into your house <laughs> and then hang things on it that cost money. Uh, it's hilarious. So, kind, yes, actually, I mean that that's the point is if if you believe if you have an emotional connection to this story that you can't go out and pick money off of a tree because your parents told you that you can't and that you believe that subconsciously and you go, well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this tree and like, there's literally, I mean, I'm looking at my window right now. I'm seeing leaves, not actual money, but right now people are selling pine cones on Etsy, right? People are selling wreaths. People are selling pine straw. People are selling all kinds of things to hang on trees there's tons of money being circulated right now as we speak as it relates to just strictly trees. So when you're talking about those emotional connections, that's where it comes from is those beliefs that we were told at some point that have just been buried in our lives forever. Another great example, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, right? Well, that's when individuals back in like the 1700s had like two chickens and the only thing they could do was eat the three or four eggs that those two chickens created, right? But everyone listening to this podcast, most likely if you're doing it from your phone, you probably don't have to worry about where you're about to eat your next meal, most likely. And if you do, please message me and I will happily send you some money so you can eat. Like it's not an issue for the vast majority of anyone who's listening to a podcast about Finance Week on their phone to go, to go eat. But putting all of your eggs in one basket well, that might prevent you from making a lot of money quickly if you're extremely confident that the thing that you're putting your money into is not going zero. An example that I mentioned to a lot of people, Tesla, right? Tesla, here's a mind-blowing fact for you, Norman. Te- te- Tesla is larger right now than every car company on earth combined. One, wow. one company. And they haven't even come out with the semi-truck yet. <laughs> right? No, like the semi truck is not even for sale. So my question is, do you guys think the Tesla is going to go higher in the next five years? And the answer is yes, it will. So if we're thinking, all right, well, how can I take advantage of that? Well, you could put a substantial amount of money into Tesla because Tesla is the largest car company on the face of the earth and it's going to go higher because it's just started. It's an American car company, right? An American car company that was started in 2008. So it's not even that old. So we have decades left of Tesla's growth, and it's just one example of, again, putting all of your eggs in one basket. It's like, what if I want to put all of my, you know, what if I want to put some of my eggs, most of my eggs, a lot of my eggs into an unbreakable basket? Does it now become less fearful? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's the fear mentality. You know, I think maybe a lot of people have fear around money, right? It's a lot of people prefer having it in the bank versus in a business versus in the stock market. Um, Christina, can you speak a little bit about that and, and the general kind of fears that people have about money and how that plays into money mindset? Yeah, well, you, I think you nailed it on the head. You know, there's the spiritual laws of love versus fear, you know, and so these spiritual laws apply to money just like they apply to anything else in life. But where we get, when we're motive, or when we're kind of driven by fear or make 
reactions out of fear or, you know, take, take actions or don't take actions, it's very limiting because it's usually the fear of loss when it comes to money. So when we're afraid to lose that cash in the bank, what we don't realize is we're already losing, you know, just with inflation and with everything happening, even though we feel like it's secure because it's sitting there and we kind of have access to it, we're losing it anyway with no opportunity to gain. So we can make it, so we can get out of this fear of loss, fear of losing, fear of making a mistake, fear of bad timing, trying to time things, you know, trying to time crypto right now. That's just laughable. Um, but we can really make it about the joy and the love of growth, you know, and and know that time's on our side, that even if we make these short-term mistakes over the long term, usually, you know, um, you win when you do some of these safer bets. And and so it's just getting into this relationship with money. There's these different aspects. So you named a couple things. So there's literacy. And I mean, I guess literacy is a good word because, you know, I think just in general, there's, there is a lack of literacy. But literacy means, if we're literate, means we can read, we can write. <laughs> so how many of us can really read and write when it comes to money? How many of us can do pretty simple computations? How many of us have put, in, put numbers into a compounding calculator? Like if you've never used a compounding calculator, you're not into money growth, you know, money growing money. So that's the literacy part. And that takes action. That means we need to learn. We need to learn a few things. We need to take some actions. You know, you take a little practice with anything we want to learn. If we want to learn how to be a pilot, we're illiterate when it comes to as a beginner, but then we start taking some classes. We get up in a plane, we read some books, you know, we, we sit next to an instructor and do some, you know, pop-ups and pop-downs. And you know, with but with that desire to want to become a pilot, that's what motivates to get over the fear of, you know, and over the, the I don't know, the overwhelm of how much there is to learn maybe. And, you know, but it's that desire. So the literacy part is we have to get out of ignorance and we have to get to a place of... So the, the next piece then is the... The feeling piece, and so there's all these, you know, there's all these different parts of money, which is why why it makes it complex in a way. We have to know things like the how-to, and just learn a few things. But it's not hard. I think what the financial industry does is it's kind of made us think that we have to depend on these big financial advisors and planners, and you know, they've conditioned us that we we're not smart enough to do this on our own. So if I can do it, believe me, everybody can do this. <laughs> Uh, the second thing, like I said, is just feelings. And so the feeling, that's what Jeremy was really talking about, is like if you say, I love money, how does that feel? Does that feel like, oh, only a terrible person would say I love money? That means greed or this means that. That's that feeling, that automatic emotional reaction or trigger to some comments like I love money or um, you know, people say, I want to be rich or whatever the case is, what are those, those, those immediate subconscious reactions to the term called money? Does it feel like unsafe? Does it feel like, oh, I'm, I, I feel stupid or whatever those feelings are. So it's really important to check in with those feelings because like Jeremy said, they come from somewhere, you know, we've been conditioned and programmed when it comes to money. And everything, you know, we're, we as adults are carrying around our seven-year-old seven self 
in all categories of life. So unless we've really worked on and identified some of these feelings and triggers and reactions, we're still living in them and repeating them from what our parents gave us. And then the next part too is the just kind of the narrative and beliefs. And a belief is what we believe to be true. And so if we've not really looked at or uncovered what we what our beliefs are about money, what we believe to be true, again, they're hidden. And we're, we have these beliefs that we've adopted that may or may not be what we really believe. We've just never looked at those. And that's like the belief that money doesn't grow on trees, the belief that making money is hard, the belief that... I'm not smart enough, the belief that, you know, all these things. And so we want to change those beliefs because action follows belief. And so our behaviors are going to be dependent on those beliefs. So again, there's all these these different pieces. And then so kind of financial, there's the literacy piece, there's the feeling piece, there's these beliefs, and there's these narratives of just like, I can't afford it. Like how many times have we said things like, I can't afford it? And that's such a limiting narrative, it's such a limiting comment because the words that we use are the realities that we create for ourselves. So we wanna catch ourselves in some of these very limiting comments and things that we say. Usually again, they've come from <laughs> what we heard our parents say. And so, you know, it's just changing something as simple as getting in these patterns of I can't afford it, which is a very limiting mindset versus replacing it with, how can I afford that? You know, and it just, you can feel it, like the change, like, hmm, that's really important to me. How can I afford that new car? How can I afford, you know, the new wardrobe? Or how can I afford to start investing? Or how can I afford these things that I say are very important to me? So that, again, it just changes the game by simple, it's just switching a few words around. And, you know, when we get into this desire to want to get good with money and to grow money and to, to love it in a healthy way and to really connect the impact and the lives that we can change by this thing called money, it shifts everything. But again, it's just not like, you know, one thing and we've got it all figured out. There's all these little, these little pieces that we need to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love what you said about changing that narrative of someone saying, I can't afford this to how can I afford this, right? It, one is kind of a limiting statement and the other is a question. It's inquisitive and open. Yeah, exactly. And the better questions we have, the, you know, kind of the bigger, better answers we'll get. But yeah, the more we can turn things into curiosity, like curiosity is such a powerful feeling in a way, like it's a way to observe life, like versus being shut down and, and cut off or rigid in our beliefs or thinking we've got the right answers. If we can reframe almost everything into this childlike curiosity, inquisitiveness, like how can I, or what's possible, or where am I limited, or who do I know, or how can I do that? Again, it's a whole different energy and vibration than kind of the stuckness that we find ourselves in. It's like, oh my God, maybe I just need to go work harder. And you know, that will kind of help all the, make a few extra dollars and make all this money thing work out. Right. And I'm sure we've all seen those graphs where it's like actually physically impossible to, like if you trade in time for money, it's, it's physically impossible to become a billionaire <laughs> if you're working, yes. you know, for like it's, it's wild. So, um, I'd like to speak a little bit about financial literacy because Christina, you touched on it and, and we, we've talked about it briefly a little bit today, but you know, once people kind of come to the, uh, 
come to that awareness around their narratives and around maybe some beliefs or feelings about money, whether it's fear-based or limiting. Um, for people who didn't maybe grow up or, or have uh, exposure as a child to um, financially stable adults or because both of you had, you know, circumstances when you were younger, where you really transcended your circumstances and and changed your financial futures. How did you become financially literate? What was that journey like? Um, Christina, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, well, that's one thing I love about Jeremy as well. I think we grew up with some similar stories and, you know, he'll tell his story, but we both grew up without anything, you know? I mean, (laughs) It took me a long time to get over the shame of this, but I mean, I started in a trailer home. I mean, we were, I'm not kidding, powdered milk, trailer home, (laughs) you name it. And my dad used to, you know, know, I went on and kind of built some businesses and had some success and I'd have like these parties and things. And and my dad would come over and be like, yeah, you know, honey, you remember when we were in the trailer home? I'd be like, dad, shut up. Don't ever tell anybody. <laughs> That's where I started. I, mean, I was so ashamed and so embarrassed and did not want him to kind of tell the truth of our beginnings. You know, now it's just, it's just part of the story. But it took a lot to get over that for me. I mean, talk about limited mindset. Talk about programming. Talk about... Um, all the things that we're talking about, talk about ignorance when it came to money, like complete illiteracy. And I, I think for me, and you know, what worked in my favor is that at a young age, I had to figure out how to make money just to, just to, you know, buy lunch money, you know, or, you know, buy lunch and that type of thing. So that was the godsend that came out of that is that it was just it, from a young age, it's like, okay, well, if I want something, I need to go figure out how to create the money to buy what I want because I'm never, I can't get it from my family. I mean, I was skinny in high, in middle school and high school because I didn't have the money for lunch. You know, I was too embarrassed to go get the school lunch money. So I just didn't eat. People thought it was genetics. It's like, no, I actually couldn't afford to eat. So, uh, so to answer your question, like it's been, it came from first, it's learning that money is so easy to make, you know, you know, I went door to door. I did whatever it took. And that, so that was that first life lesson. It's like, oh, you don't necessarily have to go get a job for money. I, I wasn't even, I mean, I was 11 years old. You, know? <laughs> you can't go apply for a weight job at 11 years old. So, you know, it didn't, it conditioned me like, oh, you don't have to go get a job for money. You can invent money. You can create money. You can all sorts of ways. And so it just became a game and it became fun. And, you know, I just, I loved making money at that time because it allowed me to like fit in because, you know, if you wear high waters to school, everybody makes fun of you. But if you can afford the Jordache jeans, all of a sudden you're included. And that's just kind of the way life is, you know, um, as kids especially, but it's the same thing happens one way or another as adults. We want to socially fit in. So that, that was the good thing that came out of that. But after that, it was learning. Like I just kind of the, to me, the, real pivotal moment was I got into real estate, was making a lot of money, and then ended up divorced. And I literally could not pay utility bills. I mean, I'm now I'm a single mom. I have two kids. I'd made all that money in here. I didn't have anything. And I had debt. I couldn't pay my bills. I didn't know how I was going to put food on the table. And the only thing that got us through is that colleagues at work had actually pitched in and paid our utility bills for six months and had brought over furniture and towels and 
and sheets and old furniture and filled the refrigerator and the freezer. And thank God for them, right? Because I really don't know how my kids and I would have made it had it not been for the generosity of these colleagues at work that kind of figured out what was going on. At the same time, here I was so ashamed and disgusted with myself because I was recreating the same thing for my children as I tried so hard to escape from broken family and couldn't afford anything and had to take charity in order to you know, have food on the table. So it was at that moment, I was just full on meltdown, breakdown, existential despair. I mean, I just didn't even know how I was gonna get myself out of this, hundreds of thousand dollars of debt and tax liens. And I just finally asked myself the question, like how the hell did I wind up here? I made hundreds of thousands of dollars selling real estate. I was number one in every category. How did I make all that money and wind up dead ass broke? And so, again, there was that question. It was just in the form of the question, and I didn't have an answer. Like, it completely baffled me. Like, now it's obvious, but then I was completely baffled. Like, I don't know how I ended up here. Like, it didn't make sense. Like, you know, it, it just didn't add up. So I just made it at that point. Like, I think my first little workshop, I don't even know how I paid for it, but there's this little workshop called Rich Dad, Poor Dad that was coming to town kind of coincident, you know, serendipity in the timing. And it was a few hundred bucks that I didn't have. I don't, again, I can't remember how I, how I found that money, but I did. And it was just that shift in mindset and things that Robert Kiyosaki had taught that it just right off the bat, which is so like mind blowing of like, well, no wonder I wound up here. And the difference between, you know, um, an employee and a, and a self-employed and a business person, an investor, the difference between assets and liabilities and, the different, what is cash flow? And these are very elementary terms that I had an accounting degree. Like, how did I not know this with getting an accounting degree in college? You know, accounting and finance. I mean, how humorous is that? Like, I'm completely illiterate with money, and I graduated with a double degree in finance and accounting. So, uh, you know, dead ass broke and can't feed my children. So it was just that first little taste of this new wisdom that changed my perspective. And then it just went on to reading every book and learning from people, masters before me, and then starting to get into not selling real estate, but buying real estate, you know, and here we are now, you know, I teach this stuff, but, you know, it, it's been, it's been a journey and I've, I mean, I've made millions of dollars. I've lost millions of dollars. I've made millions and lost it again. And, you know, and you just get better over time. But again, when it's just the desire to learn and grow and want to master this thing to the best of your ability, it's magical what's possible and I just I'll complete by saying like literally if I've been able to do what I've done making all the serious catastrophic mistakes I've made by just usually just being stupid this is available to everyone the only thing that's stopping us is ourselves like money is really the easiest thing and um and so again it just comes from that desire to want to learn it and get good at it yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's so inspiring because, you know, a lot of people feel like, and, and we touched on this, I think, Jeremy, I touched on this with you earlier today where, you know, I mentioned a lot of people, they think, oh, you know, if you make this crazy amount of money, you've made it. And there's the kind of this, I've made it mindset. Um, but it's really about the journey and about growth and personal growth. It's the number isn't necessarily reflective of that. Um, and Robert Kiyosaki's work is fantastic. He wrote a book for everyone listening called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was a very, very successful book and, um, yeah, really fantastic work as well. And it's interesting. I think maybe some of those, 
you know, terms like investor and assets and liability and all those things, you know, even going to university, if we're not using those terms, Christina, on a daily basis, you know, we may, they may just drop out of top of mindset kind of a thing. So well, one more thing on that too, is that the conventional wisdom we've been given and is wrong. <clears throat> so like the different ways, kind of the conventional financial conversation is around what is an asset and liability. It doesn't service for, for wealth creation and wealth growth. So a lot of this is learning, is unlearning. Kind of, first of all, it's looking at where we're stuck and those limiting beliefs and feelings and mindsets and narratives. But then it's unlearning so much of what we've been told <laughs> because the truth of money really lives on the other side of what we believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. And Jeremy, what, what's your journey with financial literacy been like? Uh, different po- polar opposite from Christina, but similar. Like I, you know, I, I didn't have the, um, just different, different versions of the same story is what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say. And, uh, financial literacy, I think is quite easy for the vast majority of humanity if they want it. So essentially for me, it started by reading free books at the library for something called AR points. <laughs> so um, in school, I went to a very poor school in Georgia, and uh, it was a public school, and I think this was like third or fourth grade. And they had a program called Accelerated Reading, or AR, uh, AR program. And essentially, you get these points. And if you made enough points, you could literally sell those points or use those points for all kinds of things. Extra cookies, extra food, extra drink at school, uh, or pencils or crayons or whatever, right? You could, you know, kid stuff. And kind of like Christina, I was like, uh, hell yeah, I'd love some more food. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So let me read some AR points and get some books and, you know, pass the test. I have to take this handwritten test that the teacher would give you and they would score it. And then you get a point based on your scoring. So anyway, the books that had the most points were financial literacy books, rich dad, poor dad, as an, uh, as an example was on there. Um, what was the other one? Uh, richest man in Babylon, money and the meaning of life by Jacob Needleman. books very similar to that. Think and grow rich. Um, was there and I just read those books and at the time I didn't really fully totally get what I was reading but certain principles kind of stuck in so the richest man in Babylon is a perfect example that book is free for everyone on the entire like on the internet any, any library anyone can get that book and I think literacy is more important than financial literacy like people have to learn to read Right, we have to we have to have a generation and and continue that really really intentional educational aspect of we need to ensure that people can read and you know fully fully get the language right. You nail that down, then we can talk about financial literacy. And financial literacy generally is just studying it, reading about it, thinking about it. There's a quote that the rich hide secrets where the poor people won't look in a book, and I. Always, every time I see a book, my brain immediately thinks of that. I'm like, oh, what secret is in this thing? What what tip, what trick, what idea? Every book, I think, is a $100 bill. There's a $100 bill somewhere in this book. Most books cost somewhere between $7 and $12. $12. 
right? The majority of every book on Amazon, somewhere between seven and 12 bucks. So would you spend $10 and make a hundred? Hopefully everyone's like, yeah, like I'm in for that. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. And that's what a book is like spend 10 bucks to make a hundred. Like there's a hundred dollar bill somewhere in this book, but generally it's a thousand or a hundred thousand dollar bill. I mean, it's, it's revolutionary. And so, yeah, we just have to read. We have to study. If you want to make more money, in fact, for everyone who's listening, I'll give you a challenge. If you want to double your net worth in the next calendar year, read 12 books with the word money in the title of the book. All right, if you want to double your financial net worth. Now, if you want to double your spiritual net worth or your emotional net worth or uh, your relational net worth, like read books with the words in the title that you want to get better at. And you will. It'll happen. It's a very natural progression. It just you know, it doesn't matter how much you're worth now. If you want to double your value, go read and go study a bunch of books with the word money in the title. Yeah, no, that makes that makes so much sense. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people don't have that practical application of it. So that's really, really valid. Um, and we only have a couple more minutes, and I want to respect both of you, your time. But uh, what have you guys both seen in terms of money and money mindset around the holiday season? In terms of um, what? how people are approaching the holiday season, how some people are in maybe a limited mindset and how some people are in more of a curious, open mindset of how they can accomplish their goals. Uh, Jeremy, let's start with you. With you. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I would say the very first thing that's probably most intriguing uh, for me, at least again, surrounding the holidays is you can always spend more than you have. That's, you know, when you talk about abundance, like I'm the king of abundance mindset and positivity and happiness and joy and all that stuff. But you can always spend more than you have. Don't try to buy people's approval. Gifts will not create love that does not already exist. We as individuals, as parents, as friends, as kids, brothers, sisters, whatever, you can't buy someone's approval if it doesn't already exist. And a lot I feel like a lot of us probably try to do that subconsciously. I know I used to all the time. I would try to buy gifts for people that didn't really care that much about me. And I would try to win them over with really nice, awesome, amazing, whatever they wanted, essentially. And that's not the way it should be. Number one, we should probably find out what they need, what's something that's really valuable to them. And again, I'm not saying, ah, oh, buy your family a bunch of money books. <laughs> what I'm saying is find out what they need. Maybe ask them some questions rather than guessing and saying, oh, yeah, I'm sure they're going to really love this sweater. Right? Find out what they actually need and maybe they need uh, some new weights, a new weight set, uh, or they need... Um, uh, something for their bicycle so they can you know, get a new tire and, and replace the tire and fix the tire. Just find out what type of practical things and then don't make it a one-off gift. Have it where if you're pouring into the people that you really care about, keep them in your life for as long as you can and continually following up with them throughout the year. A lot of us, again, we try to, uh, I'm just speaking from my own experience here, we'll, we'll try to shower people with praise and love one specific time and go, here's everything you need for the whole year. 
I love you. I'll see you next Christmas. When in reality, I prefer to, if I, let's say I give a gift card to my sister, it'll be a gift card to a, uh, for a plane ticket. Right. And so hopefully I can travel somewhere and I'll go, Hey sis, want to come with me? Right. Want to come with me on this trip? And now she can't really say, no, I don't have the money because I have a, she has a plane ticket, a uh, gift card for Southwest and she can fly and she can go spend some time with me. And so that's, that's one of those things where I'll try my best. I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it by any means, but we, we need to strive to create relationships that are founded on trust, knowledge, and expansion of the mind and expansion of the heart rather than just material gifts and items. Absolutely. I think that's definitely something that's super important to remember, especially during the holiday season, that however you know, someone feels about you, a gift isn't going to change that. Yes, yeah. totally. Christine? Yeah, ditto everything that <clears throat> Jeremy said. And and I love the double your net worth, read the money books. And just to, to say that very quickly, like I can't tell you how many books I've read on I've read on money and I still read them. I love the next money book. I mean, I'm, I'm reading The Lifestyle Investor by Justin Donald right now, for example, and learning things from him. And I know Jeremy's read hundreds and hundreds of books. And so anyway, I just want to ditto the importance of that uh, as, as a way to start and to never stop. The, the holiday stuff is the, the first thing I like to say, everything that Jeremy just said, and to just echo one of the comments is he said, you know, don't try to buy people's love in a way and approval. That's just in money in general, it's a principle, is that what robs us of wealth creation is buying other people's approval, is buying into the social status. You know, we buy the BMW so that other people look at us a certain way as opposed to buying, you know, driving the Honda or something. Nothing wrong with the BMW, just make sure that, you know, the BMW is within your wealth creation uh, strategy, right? Um, so again, that's what mostly robs us of approval is outliving our life, kind of overspending on lifestyle for the sake of what other people think. When it comes to holidays, the it's just the first thing I like to say is to create an allowance. You know, where I think where we get out of control over the holidays is it's Black Friday, then Cyber Monday, and then into the holidays and coming out of Thanksgiving and spending a lot of money on food. And it's just easy to get out of control. So if we can create just something like, hey, I'm going to spend $5,000 on Christmas this year or $2,000 or $25,000, then again, the number doesn't matter. It's just like, this is my allowance is what I'm allowing myself to spend for this experience that I want to create called Christmas and turn it into an experience. But by creating an allowance like this, then, and you only have this amount of money you're choosing to spend on this holiday, then it, a lot of times it creates creativity because, you know, when we could just swipe a credit card and then we have to deal with that credit card bill in January. But if we have our allowance of this thing, then it's like, okay, I love the creativity. It's like, let me go into Etsy and see if there's something there that would really remind me or that somebody might appreciate and support a, another artist. Or, you know, maybe I can go down to, you know, the bookstore or whatever. But you can create, get cre creative and get these great, thoughtful gifts without breaking the bank. 
versus just like swipe, you just go into Amazon Pay and just, you know, buying the next thing, the next thing, the next thing when it turns into a commercial holiday as opposed to kind of this, the idea of giving, right? So I think that's the biggest piece of advice I like to give. And I do that for myself too. Like, hey, I've already got my allowance of what I'm looking forward to spending on gifts and gift giving. And and it's it's got a limited number to it. So it already it's forcing me to be creative because I could way outspend that if I wanted to. And then and then really just um, kind of what, what Jeremy was saying is like, how do we maybe look at spending more time and creating more experiences than just, you know, buying another thing that ultimately is probably going to go, you know, in the landfill. Yeah, absolutely. I think both of those responses have just so many nuggets of wisdom for everybody listening. And Christina, I really love what you said about setting a budget. And, you know, that really kind of inspires that uh, saying necessity is the father of invention because it's one of those things where if you have a limited budget, you're going to, those creative juices are going to flow and, you know, you're going to come up with other ideas, maybe other places to look for gifts like Etsy, maybe making gifts for family members, or like Jeremy mentioned, experiential gifts, like plane tickets to visit family. So that's really, those are all really great tips. You know, one thing I want to say there too, just, you know, I love, like I'm a word geek. So, um, I love words and the and words, just words and distinctions and definitions. Like that's part of what I love teaching is the language of money to really learn and understand what certain words mean. Like, you know, very general, like asset and liability, like just knowing those distinctions can be a big factor in, like I said, wealth creation, but every little word too. And so when we say the word budget, for example, Anytime we hear the word budget, does it create a positive reaction or kind of a negative one? And for most of us, including myself, the word budget's like the word diet. Like, oh man, it's after Thanksgiving. I hear the word diet, probably five pounds I found on myself that I'd like to drop. I'm like, oh, do I need to go on a diet? First thing, like, oh, that sucks. Kind of budget is that word that I think many of us connotate that same type of like, oh, who wants to do a budget, have a budget, be on a budget? It just kind of has a more of a negative connotation. So I like flipping the word to allowance. Like, what's the allowance? You know, when I when my kids were little, I didn't give them a budget. I gave them an allowance. And it's a spending allowance. So it's like, here's your allowance. Spend it however you want. This is what you're allowed. You know, that's kind of the, the allowed to spend in a way. And they'd go, they were allowed. They spent all of it. So I like to word, move the word budget to allowance. Like, this is what I'm allowed to spend. And I'm going to spend every red cent of this allowance as opposed to, ah, oh, shit, I have to have a budget. You know, does that Absolutely. And I think it's something that subconsciously, the word budget sounds and I think feels in the body very similar to the word diet. It's restrictive. Um, and it doesn't have that kind of joyful connotation of this is mine to do with what I wish. So I, I really appreciate that insight, Christina. That's, you know, like your name, always wise. I'm, I'm just here for it. Um, so thank you so much for that. Before we go today, um, do either of you have any last tips or insight on money mindset through the holiday season and as we move into 2022? Totally. I would, I would just say some small things. Um, don't be afraid to give investments as a gift either, <laughs> right? Buy, you can buy shares for people. 
You can buy cryptocurrencies for people. You can buy silver. You can buy gold. You can buy investments for individuals as well. And they might not love it immediately, but especially if you have younger children, you can buy things for them so that they have it and they, you know, sits in an account or whatever for the rest of their life. And you can do that every single year over time. Uh, that's something you can do. Also consider credit cards. Like me and Christine were talking about this last night. You can use credit card points that you might have already have from just your daily life. Maybe you have 10,000 credit card points sitting around that you could cash in for a hundred bucks and the hundred bucks can buy three or four really nice, you know, gifts for individuals. It could buy three or four, you know, silver coins. Um, then you can give each, each person, you know, three people in your family, a silver coin that you bought with credit card points that are just sitting there doing nothing anyway. Um, so all things to consider, you know, that you can always, instead of giving an actual, you know, like an experience, whatever, it can be something that can grow in value over time. Uh, and it doesn't have to be something dorky and geeky like a book, because I, I do agree that generally, <laughs> generally Christmas, when it starts throwing around books, it's like, oh, come on, dude. But Books uh, and socks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Books and socks, yeah. Books and socks, you know. It's like, all right, come on, bro, I got socks. Um, but yeah, I mean, gifts like stocks. Change socks to stocks and give those every single Christmas. And uh, and see how people how people will light up. And Jeremy, I love that. I love the idea of giving investments like shares or crypto because that might even get somebody interested. Like, hey, this is my first investment that I have. I have some shares in Tesla. Now I can watch it and play with it, and or you know, in crypto or whatever. So I I love that actually. And I think my my advice just. In the holidays, again, just be connected to what Jeremy said, just the why. And, you know, I am in this stage of my life too, like less is more. And I don't want a bunch of stuff anymore. I just want experiences. I want friendship. I want memories, you know, and I think, you know, that can go a long way and it actually doesn't even cost that much. We can create these radical experiences that I think are lost in this time of less sociability. So I'd say that just this time of year, you know, what I like to say outside of the holidays, we're coming at the close of 2021. And so it's a great time. It's a great reflection time to kind of ask ourselves, and it, you know, we're in the financial context right now, but how did I do this year? How did I do financially relative to what I thought the year might start out? What are the highs? What are the lows? What do I do great at? What do I want to improve at? You know, how do I feel? Who am I? Who do I want to become? What's next for me? You know, what are my limitations? Where, where do I want to see breakthroughs? And, and just use this time as we slide into home base of this year, asking those questions and really reflecting on ourselves. And then, you know, setting that up to go into to next is like, okay, based on how I answered those questions, what do I see next for me? Who am I want to become in the new year? What do I want to create in the new year? How do I want my financial situation to be different? What do I need to learn? Who do I need to know? What's a new podcast I can listen to? Who's a mentor I can spend time with? You know, who's a new friend group that maybe I can sit down and have crypto conversations, you know, to learn about this thing that's maybe a little bit scary, but a group that I could tap into. Because the only way we're going to change our situation is by doing something different. So, and I think the only way we can know what we want to do different is by reflecting on the highs and lows of where we are today. 
So I really love to use this time of year kind of in the midst of all the chaos and shopping and holidays and getting people together and travel to also make sure we balance that out a little bit with some alone reflection time so that we can make sure that we're always moving into that better version of ourselves that we're all, you know, leaning into. Yeah. Oh, Christina, I love that answer. I think reflection is such an important thing to, to bring in the intention that we want to that we want to move forward with. So thank you both so much for joining us. And I'm going to read our brief outro. Thank you everyone for joining us for this live stream, the November Finance Podcast Week Roundtable, featuring Christina Wise of the Wealthy Wealthy Podcast and Jeremy Newsom of Broke to Woke on Money Mindset. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Finance Podcast Week has live stream sessions like this one with top finance podcasters and experts from around the world. We also have exclusive recorded episodes on the Finance Podcast Week channel for free from both of our guests today. If you join late or want to have another listen to these amazing podcasters, you can replay the episode on the Finance Podcast Week channel. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The context of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcast constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And stay tuned for next month's Finance Podcast Week live episode with Christina, who will be joining us again, along with Diana Merriam of the Optimal Daily Finance Podcast and the Economy Conference, and Eric Schlein of the Intelligent Investing Podcast. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you next month.